Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Today is our third week operating under the theme, Most Likely To. And what we've seen over the last couple of weeks, and we'll see in the next couple of weeks too, is characters from the Bible whom God used to bring good things, not just to their lives, but to the lives of others as well. And as we've looked at these Bible characters, we've also looked at how God directs our lives for our good. The Bible figures that we're going to focus on today are Ruth and Boaz. This story is recorded for us in the book of Ruth. And once again, we see how God brings goodness to Ruth and Boaz unexpectedly as he brings them into each other's lives. He truly gives them a marriage made in heaven. And I suppose to borrow from uh, a high school yearbook of sorts, we could say they would be considered the most likely to meet the person of their dreams. Can I ask you to rewind the calendar with me a little bit? Just flip back, flip back in time to the beginning of 2020. Could any of us have imagined or predicted the changes that were ahead of us? Who would have known that parents with school-aged children would become those children's teachers for the final few months of the school year? Who would have known that, that college is actually even harder when you have to be your own professor? Who would have known that so many things would be canceled and that we would be safer at home? Who would have known that you could go to work almost every day in your sweatpants as you sat in your own house? For all of the changes that maybe are here or there, there are some difficult ones too, aren't there? Think about, for people who have houses that are full, finding a quiet moment maybe is not that easy. But then there are those on the other side of that spectrum too, where being safer at home has only heightened the loneliness that people will feel. So today, God's story, the story of, of Ruth and Boaz meeting is really a story for all of us. It's an, an encouragement to you and me that, that God brings unexpected changes into our lives. Yes, not every change that is ahead is one that we have to worry about. And with God, no changes ahead are changes that we have to worry about. God brings good things through the changes that he brings. He promises that in all things he is working for our good. Let's take a look at the story of Ruth and Boaz to consider that today. And as we take a look at them as most likely to meet the person of their dreams, we'll do so under this theme, that God fills our emptiness. And he does that both with his earthly blessings, but even more with his eternal blessings. As we take a look at this story, it happens during the time of the judges. And if you look at that time frame, it's about 300 years of the, of the history of the people of Israel, spanning from about 1350 B.C. all the way until 1050 B.C. If you want to get a taste for the spiritual climate in Israel during those times, the, these two verses that I'm about to share with you serve sort of as bookends of the spiritual trouble that the people of Israel were in during this time. Early in the book, we hear this that a new generation arose who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. And at the end of the book of Judges, we hear everyone did as he saw fit. And yet, right in the middle of this spiritually dark time in the, the history of the people of Israel, we get this story, the story of Ruth, 
a story of human love that, that God allows, but, but it's enveloped, it's wrapped in this divine love as we see God's love at work and in action. During the story of Ruth, we're going to be introduced to two Old Testament laws, the kinsman-redeemer law as well as the leveret law. If you understand a little bit about these laws, it will help us as we go into the story. What God was concerned about in both of these laws was a family, keeping the family name alive, both in the descendants that they had and also in the land that they had, that plot of land that was their family inheritance in the land that God had promised to them, the land of Canaan. And so the kinsman-redeemer law allowed a purchase to happen by a relative if someone fell on hard times, if poverty struck, and then that land would stay in the family name. The Leveret Law was literally the brother-in-law law. It was a law for an unmarried brother to take his brother's wife if the older brother had died and left no heir. The goal was that God wanted that brother to produce a child with the, 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 his sister-in-law and therefore keep the name of the family alive. Those two laws are going to intersect during this story of Ruth and Boaz. Here's a map that sort of demonstrates, that will demonstrate to you exactly kind of where this story takes place. So if you take a look at the left-hand side of the map, the west side of the Dead Sea, you will see the cities of Bethlehem and Judea, or in, in uh, Jerusalem and Judah. And Bethlehem is the homeland of Naomi and ultimately Boaz and then Ruth as well. Because of famine, Naomi's husband Elimelech Naomi and their two sons moved to the land of Moab. The Bible tells us that they were there for 10 years to escape famine. And yet, those years were not uneventful years in their lives. The first few verses of Ruth tell us about a triple tragedy that Naomi suffers. First, her husband Elimelech dies. And then, after her two sons marry Moabite women, they also both experienced death. And so here's Naomi and her two daughters-in-law widowed. You might know a little bit about widows in that day that they were very dependent on the kindness of others. They depended on others for their livelihood and to keep them safe and protected. And so what Naomi and her two daughters-in-law were looking at was a pretty bleak future. Naomi understood that, that her best course of action was not to stay in a foreign land, but to go back to her homeland. And that's where I'd like to pick up the story with you. So if you need to pause and grab your Bibles, uh, please do so. Uh, we're going to take a look at Ruth chapter 1, verses 11 to 22. There we read, But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. At this they wept again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. 
Your people will be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. As we take a look at those verses, we get to see what really was best for Ruth and for her sister-in-law, Orpah. If they went back to their own families, things would be better for them. And so that's exactly what Naomi encouraged. But when Orpah returned, Ruth would not. And here we get a picture of Ruth's faith, an illustration that she had come to trust the God that Elimelech, Naomi, and their two sons worshipped. Her words are beautiful, aren't they? Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. See, Ruth understood that her chances of sustaining her faith in Moab were not great. And so she longed to go with Naomi back to Bethlehem, even though it meant difficult things for her. When Naomi and Ruth arrived back in Bethlehem, when Naomi arrived back to her home, she was almost unrecognizable to her fellow countrymen. They didn't remember what she was like. She was not happy, the happy person that she had been. And Naomi explains why. She wants them to change her name, not call her Naomi, which means pleasant, but Mara, which means bitter. Because, she says, the Lord sent me away full. I went away full, but I have come back empty. Maybe you know that feeling, the feeling of emptiness. Maybe you felt that emptiness at the loss of a loved one, the loss of a job or not getting a job, the loss of a relationship. There's so many things that cause us pain and sorrow in this world that make us feel that emptiness. We know the sting of frustration. We know the sting of disappointment and the hurt of that emptiness. Naomi felt it, didn't she? She knew that if he wanted to, the Lord could have stopped it. And maybe you felt that way too. With all of the things that are going on in our world today, with all of the changes that have brought, it has brought to our lives, are we questioning God too? That's why the story of Ruth is so amazing. Because even in the emptiness, God demonstrates that he has a purpose. Even in the pain that you and I go through, God always has a reason. And as we take a look at what he does in the story for not just Ruth and Boaz, but for Naomi too, we'll see how God fills our emptiness with not just his earthly blessings, but his eternal blessings as well. Let's see how God put this plan in motion as we take a look at chapter 2. We'll read verses 1 to 4, 10 to 13, and 17 to 20, if you'd like to follow along in your Bibles. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. 
Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they called back. Jump down to verse 10. At this she bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, and under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. And jump down to verse 17, please. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not sh stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. The process of gleaning was a process by which God provided for those who were experiencing poverty in Israel. The rule basically was this, when the harvesters went through the field, they weren't supposed to go back over the grain and make sure they got every little bit. But whatever was left behind was meant for those who were less fortunate. And so people would go glean in the fields. For Ruth, it demonstrates again her character. She was very concerned about Naomi, maybe because Naomi was older, but, but maybe she also understood how difficult this would be for Naomi from a pride standpoint. It also showed the boldness of Ruth. She has no standing in the fields of the Israelites, and yet she goes to glean in their fields. Guess whose field she just happens to end up in? Yes, that's right, the fields of Boaz. You see God's hand at work here bringing together these two people. And we get to see some of Boaz's faith in this section too, don't we? His greeting to his workers, the Lord be with you. What a wonderful way to greet his workers every single day. And their response, the Lord bless you. And then the kindness that he showed to Ruth. Not just inviting her to lunch and feeding her, but making sure she knew she would be safe in his fields by even instructing his harvesters to leave a little bit extra behind for her. So much so that Naomi certainly noticed the success that Ruth had when she returned home. An ephah she gathered. Somebody said that's about a bushel, a little bit less than a bushel full. It would have weighed maybe about eight pounds and made somewhere around 20 loaves of bread. When Naomi was informed by Ruth whose field she was in and heard the name Boaz, she recognized him as a relative of Elimelech, one of the kinsmen redeemers. He was a close relative, 
a relative who could purchase the land from Naomi, provide for she and Ruth, and then the land would stay in the family. You see God's plan going into phase two. Naomi had a plan of her own, and we'll see, take a look at that as we look at chapter three of Ruth. Let's take a look at verses one through 15. One day, Naomi and her her mother-in-law said to her, My daughter, should I not try to find a home for you where you will be well provided for? Is not Boaz, with whose servant girls you have been, a kinsman of ours? Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash and perfume yourself and put on your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man, and he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am near of kin, there is a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. Stay here for the night. And in the morning, if he wants to redeem good, let him redeem. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and put it on her. Then he went back to town. Naomi's plan really comes from this, I suppose, idea that she wanted to be a matchmaker of sorts. Maybe she knew that Boaz was too much of a gentleman to think that Ruth could somehow be interested in him. And so Naomi's plan ultimately was this, that Ruth would bring the proposal to Boaz. Now, this proposal certainly wasn't without risks. It it would certainly be possible that Boaz could reject Ruth, that she could be... um, highlighted, I suppose. She could be illustrated as someone who had less than a great moral character. He could embarrass her. But Naomi trusted not just Ruth's character, but Boaz as well. In a strange custom, she proposed by laying at his feet as he laid down to sleep after a day of harvesting grain. And when Boaz recognized that she was there, he called her act an act of kindness. Kindness because she had shown an interest in him. And then he repaid her kindness with kindness to her, agreeing to marry her, and also giving her more barley to take home for herself and for Naomi. There was also the matter of protecting her reputation. He wanted to make sure that she was not known, that that it was not known that she had come to the threshing floor, that people would not get the wrong idea. And then one final step. Yes, he was a kinsman redeemer. He acknowledged that what Ruth said was correct. But there was one closer, 
one closer relative who had the opportunity first to redeem the land. And Boaz needed to take care of that business. And the next morning he did just that. Let's finish up our reading by looking at chapter 4, verses 1 to 8, and then 13 to 17. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat there. When the kinsman redeemer he had mentioned came along, Boaz said, Come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, Sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the kinsman redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me, so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am the next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi and from Ruth the Moabitess, you acquire the dead man's widow in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the kinsman redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the kinsman redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it yourself. And he removed his sandal. Jump ahead to verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. Then he went to her and the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap, and cared for him. The women, women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. The meeting happened the next day at the town gate where most business was uh, conducted. And here's where we see the intersection, the intersection of the two laws I mentioned at the start, the law of the kinsman redeemer and the leveret law. That law of the kinsman redeemer was that any close relative could purchase the land. And ultimately, when Naomi passed away because she had no heirs, that land would belong to the person who had purchased it. And that explains why the man was willing to buy it at first. And then Boaz informs him of a condition. Here's where we need just a real brief Hebrew lesson. In the original Hebrew, there are 22 consonants and no vowels. And so there are times when a verb, like the one called acquire here, is hard to tell what the pronoun that should go with it is. Should it be you acquire or I acquire? The second one actually makes a lot more sense. What Boaz is saying is that he is going to marry Ruth. No matter what happens with the purchase of the land, Boaz is going to take Ruth as his wife. And here's where the leveret law comes in. Though, though Boaz was not a brother-in-law and so was not under any obligation, if he and Ruth had a child, that child would be counted as Naomi's and the land would go to that child. That explains why the man instantly says, I can't do it, you redeem it. So the path was cleared, not just for the purchase of the land, but for the marriage of Ruth and Boaz. Yes, God brought those two together, a marriage literally made in heaven. 
And of course, he blesses the marriage with a child. You saw the name, the name Obed, and you saw that tracing just two generations later to King David. Isn't it amazing? Not just earthly blessings, but an eternal blessing for Ruth and Naomi and Boaz. They were in the ancestry of Jesus. Yes, God filled empty hearts with joy. Naomi's heart to have her own grandchild that would be counted as her child. Ruth and Boaz to be happily married. The emptiness that they had felt was now fullness because of God's blessings. So what about our not our takeaways from, from this story. What, what can we learn from the story of Ruth and Boaz? And, and maybe as you think about the, the man of, or the woman of your dreams, we should talk first to single people. I can only imagine that being single is even more difficult during this time. How are you supposed to get married if you can't be out meeting people, right? Maybe you've been frustrated by loneliness, frustrated by the fact that there just doesn't seem to be the right person out there for you. Can I give you some encouragement this morning, today? First of all, God knows. God knows your singleness. Jesus experienced singleness. He can relate to exactly what you're going through. Secondly, God knows exactly what you need. If you have a chance this week, read through 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It has some beautiful thoughts from a single man, the Apostle Paul. And maybe one last encouragement, you can use your singleness as a service to God because of the undivided heart that you have. Trust that the Lord has a plan for you. To married people, maybe we've taken our spouses for granted far too often. Would you agree? Maybe it's a good time to remember that the man or the woman of your dreams has been brought to you by God. Oh, that doesn't mean every marriage is perfect, right? We still struggle through those marriages, but, but what a blessing God has given you and the spouse that you have. Thank God for that blessing. Thank your spouse today for being the special person that God has given you. To the widows and widowers, I know that you've experienced that kind of love and, and God knows too. God knows the difficulty there is in marking birthdays and anniversaries without that person that you love there. But God also knows exactly where you're at. He knows how to bring you comfort and peace. He knows that in him you have a full heart because he is your portion forever. To all of us, this story is a reminder of God's love for us. Yes, there will be changes ahead, and we don't know what those changes are. And yet in those changes, God promises that he will bring blessings. I think about reflecting, going back to what God accomplished through not just Ruth and Boaz, through Naomi, but in the Savior that he sent, that Jesus has already come. He's already taken your place. Jesus loves you. He saved you. He has made you a child of God and an heir of eternal life. He calls you his brothers and sisters. No matter what our situation in life, we always have that. And God promises that blessings will come, sometimes unexpected blessings, that he'll put the what or the why or the who into our lives without us even recognizing it. God's blessings to us are truly new every single day. And his greatest blessing of all is an eternal blessing, a blessing of life with him forever through Jesus. God has given us grace in place of grace. 
He's given us Jesus first, and everything else is the grace that he gives us on top of that. It's exactly what the Apostle John was describing in his first chapter, or the first chapter of his gospel, verse 16. He said, out of God's fullness, out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. I suppose you could call it like the cherry on top of the sundae. God has given you forgiveness of sins and life eternal through Jesus. And he promises that he's going to give you blessings in this life as well. Some takeaways from our sermon today. First of all, it's easy, isn't it, to feel empty in this life, especially when we focus on things that we don't have, things we wish we had. Well, God invites us to come to him, to, to cast those troubles on him, to call upon him in the day of trouble that he will deliver us and then we will honor him. Secondly, God brings unexpected blessings into our lives. Yes, we know that the one who loved us so much to send Jesus, if he didn't spare his own son but gave him up for us all, he'll graciously, along with him, give us everything that we need. And then finally, number three, God's love in Jesus is the grace we need today and forever. Yes, God is the one who fills our heart as he is our portion forever. Every cloud has a silver lining. Maybe you're familiar with that phrase. It's something that is usually credited to, credited to the British author and poet John Milton. You understand what it means, right? It means that even in the difficulties, even in the tough times, no matter what horrible circumstances we're in, there's always something to look for. There's always a silver lining. There's always something positive that can be taken. Boy, what an awesome thing to do, isn't it? To spend time thinking about the positives in every situation rather than lamenting the negatives. Oh, I know that's difficult to do. And yet, when we see the love of our Heavenly Father in Jesus, we know that that's exactly what God does. That he brings us blessings, grace in place of grace. So we think about the story of Ruth and Boaz. We think about maybe meeting the person of our dreams and we know that it's all in God's hands. Here's God's promise to you. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Let that love be the fullness that you need, the fullness that fills every emptiness in this life. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds. In Christ Jesus, amen.